What's going on, y'all? Welcome to yet another episode of Full On Pod. Now, hey, I know it's been uh, quite some time since I did this. It's been since March. But fuck it, dude. You know what? I'm back regularly doing this. I thought, you know what, man? I wanted to do a podcast for a long time. I had it going for a while. Took a little bit of a break. Didn't really know what to do. I was running out of ideas, basically. Um, Jeez, where do I start, man? So much has happened, all right? But we're enough of that. None of that really matters. Basically, what's going to go down now is I'm making the transition from music over to sports, all right? Every now and then, I'll talk about music, lifestyle, lifting weights, all that good shit. But basically, man, it's fucking football season, bro. It's simple as that. College football's going down. NFL's coming next week. You, how can you not be excited about this shit, all right? So basically... Right now, we're recapping college football week one. Well, technically, it's week two, but this is the first real week, man. All the big conferences opened up. It was an amazing week. We had a big slate of games. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about all the big games that went down. There were plenty of upsets, plenty of games that kind of set the tone for what the season's going to look like, in my opinion, and um, yeah, some struggles within conferences that we didn't expect to struggle as hard. And some huge performances. We're going to break it all down coming up. Um, I want to thank everybody for sticking around if you listen to this episode. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, Hopefully, y'all like that I talk about sports now. I think it's going to be a good good path moving forward for the show. I'm going to have a lot of people on. Hopefully, I can find a co-host. That's a surprise. We're going to leave that for later for when NFL comes around. But yeah, there's a lot of games that I want to get into that happened this week. Um, We're going to talk about all the big ones first, then we'll get into some of the smaller ones. I'll talk about some notable performances that really caught my eye, good and bad, and then we're going to talk about some other side stories. But first of all, you know, this weekend really opened my eyes again to just how much I love college football. I mean... I'm a regular with college football. I watch every year, no matter what. I usually spend most of my Saturdays watching college football. I spend most of my Sundays watching NFL football. Huge sports fan in general. But, man, I'll tell you what. With the COVID thing kind of out of the way, I mean, COVID's not like over, over. But with COVID dying down a little bit here in the States, man, it was it was an emotional experience Saturday morning, for real. You know, I woke up. Probably about 9.30, I, I already knew what it, what was going down. I popped on the TV, fucking college game day, man, right there. And guess what? No more COVID table, no more social distancing. They had the normal table going on. Brad Nessler, Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreet, you know, great stuff. All talking about the slate of games that were going on. They were at Clemson. I mean, 18,000 strong in attendance behind them. That's the biggest college game day I think they've had in six years, they were saying. And the fans were going crazy, man. It was just, it was almost an emotional roller coaster for me, man. Because growing up, I remember turning college game day on right as it started at 8 o'clock every morning. And watching it until the first game came on. And man, I fucking love it, dude. It was just, it's like, man, it's really back. It's really back, dude. Like, you, you can't beat it. And just... The passion of every game between the fans and the players and the coaches all day long, you know, full capacity and attendance at each stadium, or at least most of the stadiums, you know, you just, man, you you can't go wrong with that kind of stuff, dude. Like, 
college football seriously just has so much heart. You you can't beat it. We're going to go ahead and dive into some of these bigger games that went down. Um, if you missed this weekend, don't worry. I got you covered. Um, I'm going to do a deep dive into each one of these games. Definitely give you the rundown on what happened. Um, the star players in each. I'm going to give my MVP for each game. Kind of talk about the coaching and how each game was strung along. So on Friday, we really only had one big game. I believe there were there were six games on on Friday night. Um, really only one game that you need to pay attention to, in my opinion, and that was Ohio State and uh, Minnesota. So this was the first real Big Ten matchup. Last Friday, we had Nebraska and Illinois. Nebraska is literally the worst team in the Big Ten, in my opinion. I mean, they're just, they're they're horrendous. They beat Fordham this weekend, but they could not beat Illinois. Illinois is just straight up all right. They're in the middle of the pack with the Big Ten. But Ohio State and Minnesota are two of the top teams in the Big Ten easily. Um, a lot of people have Minnesota as a sleeper to win the Big Ten this year, but let's be honest, that's not going to happen as long as Ohio State is still in this conference. Um... It was a pretty good game. I mean, it was actually closer than a lot of people thought. Um, If you bet the over on this game, you definitely won some money, assuming you bet on Ohio State winning the over. So, you know, we had C.J. Stroud. He's the new starting quarterback for Ohio State, replacing Justin Fields. He picked up kind of right where Justin Fields left off. He went 13 for 22, 294 yards, four touchdowns. He did throw a pick. That was pretty early in the game. So it didn't matter as much. But I mean, putting up four touchdown passes and almost 300 yards in your first college start is a pretty big deal. And once again, um, just like last year, the Ohio State air raid offense just went fucking bananas. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson show all the way. Garrett Wilson from right here in Austin, Texas. Gotta love it. His first year as a starter there at Ohio State. Um, They combined for almost 200 receiving yards and three touchdowns. Absolutely nuts. I mean, this is what we expected from Ohio State all year coming into the season. Um, I expected them to kick off with a huge start, offensively especially. Defense really wasn't there the whole game, but when is the Ohio State defense ever really there, if we're being honest? (laughs) But um, yeah, we'll get into Minnesota because Minnesota was more of a surprise to me. Um, I'm a big Tanner Morgan fan. I think he's a great QB. Um, He was able to go 14-25 for 205 yards, only one touchdown, but no picks. Kind of a game manager moment for Tanner Morgan, but putting up over 200 passing yards and able to throw a touchdown pass against a really great Ohio State team was something that shows his maturity in his senior season. Um, The biggest surprise and the biggest outbreak here for Minnesota was the running back Muhammad Ibrahim. He had 30 rushes, over 160 yards, almost six yards per carry, and two touchdowns on the ground. This is insane, okay? But what sucks, what sucks big time is that he got a leg injury and he's out for the rest of the season. I honestly had him as a sleeper Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. I really thought he could, you know, break through, assuming maybe Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson had a down year. Let's just see a running back get it for once. I mean, seriously, can we have just a running back get this for once? It's been so long. I think Muhammad Ibrahim is a great player, and it's too bad that he's out for the rest of the season. Um, the Really, the only other big notable thing that happened for players this game was uh, Dylan Wright, who is a new starting receiver for Minnesota, 
had a huge Moss touchdown in the in the red zone against an Ohio State corner. And it seems like Minnesota kind of has a receiver that's picking up where uh, Rashad Bateman left off after getting drafted in the first round of the Ravens. So that's huge for Minnesota and Tanner Morgan. I think that'll definitely help their season now that they have a solidified number one guy on the outside still. Um, defense didn't really play a huge part in this game. It was pretty high scoring. Ohio State ended up walking away with the win. I'm an idiot and didn't write the final score down in my notes, but I think it was like 40 to 28 or something like that. I don't know. I know the game got out of hand towards the fourth quarter. All right, the next game we're going to talk about was the next Big Ten showdown. This was the first game of the heavy slate of games here in week one on Saturday morning. Um, This was right after college game day. Penn State and Wisconsin played each other. Uh, Penn State ended up winning the game 16 to 10. This was quite the defensive uh, stand by both teams. But teams, both of them, were able to put up decent numbers on offense. When it comes to Penn State, Sean Clifford went 18 for 33 for 247. One touchdown, no picks. Um, John Dotson, star receiver here at Penn State, five catches for 102 yards and a touchdown, and he had a couple good punt returns. This is crazy, okay? So basically, Penn State won this game by being able to hang on to the ball, and not turn it over, okay? Wisconsin turned the ball over twice, I believe, with Graham Mertz throwing two interceptions. He had a pretty bad stat line. So here's the thing. I I really thought Wisconsin should have kept Jack Cohn at QB, okay, after last year. I mean, Jack Cohn, kind of a game manager. He had a better arm than Mertz. He was able to get it downfield, He had not the best slate of receivers. He was able to get the ball to them. You know, Graham Mertz went 22 for 37 for only 185 yards, not throwing a single touchdown. But with Wisconsin, the run game was able to carry them a little bit. Ches Malusi had 31 carries, 121 yards. Only four yards per carry, but he was able to get in the end zone once, and 121 yards is able to run down the clock. Now, here's the thing. Wisconsin, because they're able to run the ball so effectively compared to Penn State— had 42 minutes of possession time versus Penn State's only 17 minutes of possession time. But like I said, it was Penn State's ability to keep the ball in their own hands and not turn it over opposed to Wisconsin that helped them seal the win. Because Wisconsin's two interceptions came late in the game, both in the fourth quarter. And it just finished the whole thing off. You know, It looks like Penn State is going to be the only other team that might be able to compete with Ohio State, them and Minnesota. I don't think the Big Ten is really going to be that interesting this year. I think it's just going to be another easy Ohio State walk away with the win, get into the CFP playoff. I mean, let's be honest here. Ohio State is the best team. Michigan can't compete with them ever. Michigan State looked borderline all right this weekend. Penn State looked okay. They were still barely able to beat Wisconsin. Their defense had to hold on. Okay, and Minnesota, I mean, with Muhammad Ibrahim out for the rest of the season— it's it's not looking too good for him, okay? I'm, my nose is kind of stuffy, so just bear with me. <clears throat> All right, so I watched this whole game. This was a very interesting game to me. Uh, me and my friend Opton were talking about this one. Shout out to Opton. Um, Oklahoma versus Tulane. So with this game, it was a big deal because we had Heisman, you know, front runner Spencer Rattler coming in making one of his first big starts, you know, of the season. And we had an NFL big board prospect, PFF NFL big board prospect, Nick Benito at edge rusher for Oklahoma. 
we have the Oklahoma receiving corps with Marvin Mims leading the way. You know, this was supposed to be obviously uh, an Oklahoma rodeo, basically ride the bull into the sunset type deal, take it away with probably 50, 60 points beating Tulane. But that is not what happened at all. And it is so funny to me. This is such a typical OU moment. I I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it because I thought they were going to run away with it. Opton texted me that morning. He said, bro, I'm telling you, Tulane is going to is gonna make this a close one, and they might even win. And I'm like, bro, there's no fucking way Tulane is going to be even involved in winning this game at all. They're not even going to be close. Well, I was wrong. Opton was right. <laughs> Oklahoma ended up winning 40-35 to against unranked American Athletic Conference Tulane. Okay. And Spencer Rattler had a decent stat line, but for being a Heisman front runner and an NFL big board prospect, this is ridiculous. He went 30 for 39 for 304 yards. So see that, that doesn't sound that bad right there. You're like, okay, that's some big numbers, you know, pretty good completion percentage, but he threw one touchdown, only one, one passing touchdown against Tulane, one passing touchdown against AAC Tulane, and he threw two picks. I think one came early and one came late, okay? This is just ridiculous for a guy who is supposed to... He's literally supposed to be the Heisman frontrunner and maybe the top quarterback prospect other than Sam Howell, all right? And then we have Marvin Mims, of course, doing typical OU things at receiver. Five receptions for 117 yards. Didn't put up a score, but was able to get the team downfield, make big plays when needed. This is the other thing, very underwhelming week one performance for Nick Benito. I mean, seriously, once again, you're playing unranked Tulane, okay? Not not a good school. The program's coming up, but just in general, you're, you're OU. You're the leader of the Big 12. You're going to the SEC this year. You don't look very SEC ready when your number one edge rusher is getting half a sack, okay? Just half a sack versus an O-line that is probably total garbage, Obviously, they're not if they're able to hold this pass rush. But, you know, once again, Nick Benito is a PFF NFL big board prospect. Um, <clears throat> only half a sack. I mean, the, the, you just can't get any worse than that. It's kind of funny. But for me, the big story was Tulane. It's fucking Tulane, dude. Because Tulane was able to put up 35 points against a college football playoff team. Okay, and probably one of the best offenses and just best teams overall in college football. At least they're supposed to be OU. But seriously, the best performance, MVP of the game, Michael Pratt, a true freshman QB. He went 27 for 34, 296 passing yards through the air. Okay, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, and no interceptions. This is crazy. He's a true freshman, came into Norman, and was able to put up this performance. I mean, this is insane. It's awesome. This is the spirit of college football right here. When you have a true freshman quarterback at Tulane able to do this, if he keeps playing like this, and they keep playing like this against top five teams, which, by the way, Oklahoma's ranked number two, I hope they drop a few spots after this weekend. That would be hilarious. But he was able to come into Norman and put up numbers like that. That's just incredible. Other than that, there wasn't any other really big individual performance by the Green Wave. Um, Their defense definitely hung in there. Even though allowing 40 points, they were able to create opportunities for their offense to stay on the field. So Oklahoma ended up having more yards offensively, but both teams had a pretty equal time of possession. So the game was able to stay close the whole time. Did you... 
holy shit, excuse me, I just fucking ate, due to a big performance by Michael Pratt, the true freshman. So, you know what? Props to Tulane, props to the Green Wave for staying in there. Hanging in there versus number two Oklahoma, I hope they dropped a number six or some shit. We're going to get into a game I didn't really give a shit about, didn't watch this game, but we're going to talk about it just because there's some big news uh, regarding the NFL. So Oregon played Fresno State, both teams unranked, I believe. Um, Oregon was a projected leader in the Pac-12 this year, simply because of edge rusher Kayvon Thibodeau, who might be the number one overall pick in this year's NFL draft. He's going to be a top five pick for sure. Oregon ended up barely coming out and surviving this game, 31-24, to beating Mountain West Fresno State. That's so funny to me. Fresno State is actually a borderline pretty good team each year, though, so it's not a huge surprise. But the biggest story about this is Kayvon Thibodeau went out early in the first quarter with a lower body leg injury. We don't know exactly the details of the injury, but he was able to get up, but he was limping off the field with the help of the trainers. This is a huge deal. Does this affect his draft stock? I don't know. We'll see if he comes back strong week two. I know he did get a sack this game, and he looked pretty monstrous and, you know, un, un uh, unguardable the whole game when he was in. I think he was in the game for about six minutes, but he went out pretty early. Um, does this affect his draft stock? I don't know. We'll see if he comes back. Does this affect the rest of the season for Oregon? absolutely if he misses significant time. Um, The game was insanely close. Equal time of possession, equal offensive yardage between both teams. Um, Oregon turning the ball over was a problem. I think they had three turnovers against Fresno Fresno State, and we're going to dive into this more later because I'm going to discuss some of the struggles going on within the Pac-12. All right. This game, pretty fun one. (laughs) so when it comes to sports betting I look into sports betting a lot I used to be pretty into it especially with college football um obviously a lot of people bet the over when it comes to Alabama you know they're going to score a lot of points no matter what that's just the program okay Nick Saban is a genius he just knows how to put together a team he knows how to recruit he knows how to Play football. I mean, Nick Saban is just the undisputed college football goat when it comes to coaching. But, you know, the funny thing is, a lot of people bet the over and they bet Miami winning this game. There's no way, okay, there's no way in hell Miami was going to beat Alabama. Did anybody actually think Miami was going to beat Alabama? I mean, like, seriously, come on. This is this is hilarious to me. I was watching Sports Center, fucking, you know, all these sports casts, people saying, Oh, Miami has a chance, Miami has a chance, Miami has a chance. No fucking way, dude. It's Alabama. Week one Alabama at that. They've won nineteen straight in week one. Okay. They never put below they never don't put up thirty points. I mean, let's be honest. Twenty eight to thirty points, they're always gonna put that up, no matter what. Miami, De'Eric King was coming back off of an ACL tear. We didn't know if he was going to be 100%. He looked okay, but he didn't have the best performance. So Alabama ended up winning this game 44-13, to as they should have. Okay, Miami's defense is kind of garbage, not going to lie. Like I said, a lot of people thought this game would be close for some reason. Kind of ridiculous. Um, Bryce Young made his first start for Alabama. The young quarterback, he went 27 for 38, 
344 yards, four touchdowns, and no picks. Okay, he gets performance of the week, by the way. Yeehaw, congrats, Bryce Young. You get performance of the week, as he should have been the new Alabama quarterback. He's a Heisman candidate, in my opinion. He has a good chance of winning it. Um, One thing that surprised me about Alabama, although, is they had a poor run game. This is unlike the program. Um, Brian Johnson, I believe, was their leading back with four rushes for 60 yards, and I think he had a touchdown. I'm not sure. But they kind of had a a backfield tandem, two different running backs playing the whole game, and it just didn't look like Alabama. But it was okay because they were able to get it done through the air. Um, air raid attack led by John Mechie, six catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. And then Jamison Williams literally spanked Miami. He had four receptions for 176 yards and one touchdown. Keep that in mind, four catches for 176 yards. Is he NFL ready? Yeah, I, I definitely think he's NFL ready. <laughs> so, um, Alabama's defense held strong as usual, holding Miami to only 13 points. Uh, This was Bama's 20th straight week one win. I don't think there's any better team in college football than week one Alabama. Um, Once again, De'Eric King. Everybody thought he'd be a Heisman candidate. I don't really think so coming off of an ACL tear. I hope the guy starts playing better, but, you know, against Alabama week one, it's a tough matchup. He went 23 for 30 for 179 yards. He had one touchdown, but he threw two picks. Um, It was Miami's struggles with turning over the ball that really just, you know, finished them off. Uh, Miami was outscored, outplayed, um, terrible possession time overall, and their inability to make big plays on both offense and defense. It just seemed like they could not stop anything. And this just shows in general with other conferences, sorry to say, but it's true. You just can't compete with the SEC. You just you just really cannot compete with the SEC. It's impossible. Okay. I mean, I think a good amount of the ACC might be able to with Notre Dame and Clemson, but in Florida State. But we'll we'll get into that in a second. But you just can't compete with the SEC in general. All right, so the next big game I wanted to cover was the game I watched all of, pretty much. Uh, Hook'em Horns, big Texas fan over here. We had Texas, number 23, versus 21, Louisiana, Lafayette, the Ragin' Cajuns. Um, First of all, I want to give props to Louisiana for building a solid program the past three years. Um, I believe this is the first time they've been ranked in back-to-back seasons ever in school history. So let's give a big hip hip hooray to the Ragin' Cajuns for actually building a program in the Sun Belt Conference. With that being said, Texas ended up running away with the game 38 to 18. You can't compete with the Big 12, Power 5, baby, sorry. But Texas had a true freshman starting at quarterback. They decided to start Hudson Carr over Casey Thompson this weekend. Carr went 28 for 40, 282 yards and a passing touchdown. Pretty good debut in Austin, Texas for the Lake Travis uh, commit. You got to love it. Looks like there's a bright future for Texas. He's a great dual threat. He was able to use his legs to pick up a lot of first downs. I was very impressed, especially because I thought Casey Thompson played very well when he came in for Sam Ellinger in the Alamo Bowl last year. But it looks like Hudson Carr is going to be the signal caller from now on. Um, 
goddammit, the best player on Texas, Bijan Robinson, the running back. Love him. He is a sleeper Heisman candidate, in my opinion. If he keeps playing like this every game, he could get it done. And in the Big 12, it's very possible because there's no such thing as defense. He had 20 rushes for 103 yards on the ground and two rushing touchdowns. He also had four catches, 73 yards through the air, and a receiving touchdown. So three total touchdowns for Bijan and a total of 176 total scrimmage yards. That That's just incredible, okay? If you don't think this guy can win the Heisman, you're wrong because he has a very, very big opportunity, especially if Texas makes it to the playoff, which, God damn it, I hope they do because I think they have a huge chance at beating OU and winning the Big 12 this year. <clears throat> we'll just have to see what happens. Um, also for Texas, um, Jordan Winnington, Jay Witt, a new receiver that's breaking out on the team, had seven catches for 113 yards and a touchdown, leading the team through the air that day. Um, the Texas defense also props, holding the Rage and Cajuns, who actually have a pretty dynamic offense and a great quarterback to uh, under 200 yards offensively. Um, at least, no, my bad, under 200 yards on the ground. Uh, Louisiana is known for their run game. They have a pretty good running back tandem, and Levi Lewis, the quarterback, is a great dual threat. He was able to get it done, 28 for 40, 282 yards through the air in a passing touchdown. But other than Levi Lewis's performance, Louisiana struggled offensively. They had the ball for longer than Texas throughout the game, but Texas was able to make bigger plays and get the ball downfield. Also, the defense was able to just stop them. Very low third down percentage for Louisiana. Texas just took over the game late, okay? And basically, there was just an explosive Texas offense that was able to make plays and get the ball downfield quickly, especially, you know, with B. John Robinson being in the lineup. Um, they look decently ready for the SEC, honestly. I mean, Louisiana is a decent program, even though they are a Sunbelt team. They're ranked in the top 25, and they have a very dynamic offense and a good defense. I think Texas looks more ready for the SEC than Oklahoma does. So that's going to be interesting. Okay, so the final big game that I wanted to cover, this was the biggest game of the weekend. Everybody was looking forward to this. If you're a better, you probably bet the over and you got fucked, but that's okay. So we're going to talk about Georgia and Clemson. Number five, Georgia travels to Clemson, North Carolina to take on number three. All right, huge, huge game. Everybody thought this was going to be a shootout. You know, we have JT Daniels coming in for his second season as Georgia starter. DJ Ugulele. I mean, seriously, we thought this was going to be a big one. But Georgia ended up winning the game 10-3. 10-3. This was a straight defensive slugfest. Georgia with six sacks. Six sacks on Ugulele. I mean, I'm going to be honest, Clemson looked rattled. They looked like they had no clue what was going on. They didn't know what to do. Um, Hot take is Dabo Sweeney finally struggling without a good quarterback. Is DJ Ugulele the future at Clemson? I don't know. He's got a couple other quarterbacks behind him that he could start. But overall, Georgia's defense just dominated this game. So did Clemson's, Clemson's defense, only allowing Georgia to put up 10 points. Both teams are supposed to be offensive powerhouses. Um, Georgia did have two receivers out due to COVID protocols, I believe. 
but the defense was a full go. Um, Georgia also had a late INT on Clemson. Uh, Clemson was able to get one sack and one INT, but also just hold the run game to only see here 60 yards on Georgia's side. Georgia held Clemson to two rushing yards. Two. Clemson is definitely missing Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence very badly right now. Um, JT Daniels, the Georgia quarterback, was able to go 22 for 30 for 135 yards. He threw a pick. No touchdowns. Pretty bad performance. Um, He's a Heisman candidate. I know that. And he's an NFL prospect. DJ Ugalele in his first start for Clemson. 19 for 37, 178 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. That That's honestly, like, let's be honest, that's a horrible performance from Ugalele, who's expected to kind of fill the shoes of Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. Um, he does not look like the next top Clemson quarterback after this week. And this is what I'm saying, just overall, the SEC is the top dog, okay? They are the top dog conference it doesn't look like Clemson is college football playoff ready. I mean, they can't beat Georgia. Is Georgia college football playoff ready? I'm not sure. It's it, This year is panning out so far after week one to be a weird one. I mean, obviously Alabama with a huge performance. We already know they're going to make the playoff. But who's the other team in the SEC? Usually the SEC provides two teams. And right now it's not really looking like Georgia is going to be able to get that done you know, Clemson being a decent program, but we'll just have to see. You know, overall, just a horrible performance from both teams. Uh, Both QBs are projected to be top performers in the country, and they really didn't play up to standard. I mean, the defense just dominated. It Ugalele looked so flustered in that pocket, and, you know, he's supposed to be a dual-threat QB. He couldn't even get out of the pocket to make a play. I could only count on one hand, two two times that he was able to make a big play and get the ball downfield the whole game. Same with JT Daniels. I mean, more of a pocket passer, but he could not until the... Uh, I'm sorry. Until the end of the game, he was able to get the ball downfield. I mean, just this game did not go how everybody expected it to. But, you know, Georgia walked away with the win. If Georgia's defense can hold strong like this against Alabama, which I highly doubt it, maybe they'll have a spot in the playoff. I don't know. Georgia's going to be a different team when they get their receiving core back. You know, COVID gets out of the way and they start making big plays again. All right, next we're going to move on to the Pac-12 struggles. Um, This was a very, very rough week for the Pac-12. And it's kind of hilarious, some of these things that happened. You just, you have to listen, okay? So first of all, this game, least important, but Arizona, the Wildcats up in Flagstaff, lost to BYU. Um, BYU looks like a pretty dominant team picking up right where they left off, even though Zach Wilson got drafted into the NFL by the Jets, number two. Um, don't remember the quarterback's name, but um, Bryson Algier, their running back, made huge plays. Um, He was a big part of their offense last year. He's looking to be an even bigger part now that Zach Wilson has gone. Uh, Gunnar Romney is still there at starting receiver now, I believe. BYU is looking like a force to be reckoned with. Um, If they do join the Big 12 next year, I think they'll fit in nicely. Arizona has never really been that good at football anyways, so not a surprise that they lost to BYU in Vegas. 
Um, this is the big one. This is the big one, boys. <laughs> Number 20 ranked Washington. All right, Washington was looking like the team that could lead the Pac-12 this year. Uh, not a playoff projection, but looking like they would be the top dogs in the in the Pac-12. Sorry if I said Big 12. But they lost to FCS Division II Montana <laughs> at home. At home, they lost to Division II FCS Montana. The Grizzlies. The Grizzlies. So they were only able to score one touchdown the entire game against Montana. Montana scored a touchdown and I think two field goals. This <sighs> Pac-12, what is going on? Can you explain to me what's going on with you this year? I mean, seriously, the Pac-12 is supposed to be up there with the Big 12, the ACC, the Big 10, and your top dogs lose to Montana. This is so silly. This is so silly. I mean, is Montana, you know, I don't think Montana's ever beaten a top 25 team. So, Thanks Washington. Thanks for uh thanks for a big upset for us to watch this week. That was very enjoyable. Um Oregon State lost to Purdue. Purdue is known for being one of the absolute worst teams in the Big 10 and they were able to beat Oregon State 30 to 21. Oregon State was projected to have one of the best offenses in the Pac-12. Didn't really look like it. A lot of turnovers there. Um, USC was able to beat San Jose State in an easy win, but it's San Jose State. Uh, Surprised Nick Starkle didn't have another big game for San Jose. But USC's defense held strong. Keaton Slovis put up some pretty good numbers. Um, if I were you, go watch some highlights from that play. Beautiful ball from Keaton Slovis in the second quarter, and an even better catch from his receiver in the end zone. Once again, Oregon barely walked away with the win against Fresno State. Should have been an easy, easy, easy clobber time win against Fresno State, but Kayvon Thibodeau went out, and it seemed like Oregon just fell apart. Um, now, here's what we're talking about, okay? A lot of struggles from the Pac-12 until we get to this game. UCLA under Chip Kelly looks like they're going to be the top team in the Pac-12. An absolutely amazing performance beating LSU. Getting a win over the SEC. Um, if we can for a second, we'll talk about LSU, uh, Coach O, and the rest of the program having nothing but struggles ever since Joe Burrow and the receiving tandem of Jefferson, Chase, and um, Marshall Jr. got drafted to the NFL. Coach O doesn't seem like he's holding the program together. Losing to Pac-12 UCLA definitely doesn't make a good statement for LSU and the rest of the SEC. LSU's going to miss out on the playoff again for second year in a row. This is kind of silly. So if anybody thinks LSU is a team to be reckoned with, you're wrong. Uh, UCLA definitely is. I think Chip Kelly has that program coming together. Um, I do want to get in to some notable QB performances. Sorry, y'all. My nose is getting <clears throat> really stuffy at this point. Now, notable QB performances. Um, some of these are good. Some of these are bad. But they have to do with the NFL, and they have to do with the rest of this college football season. 
maybe not as important as these big games or some of these big teams. But um, first one I wanted to talk about, Nevada's QB, Carson Strong. He's projected to be a second or third round prospect in the NFL draft. Great performance. Um, He went 22 for 39 for 312 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. Um, This is... Not a surprise, he is in PFF's NFL Top 50 Prospects of 2021. Um, I honestly think if he keeps playing this way, he might be a first-round pick since we saw the likes of Trey Lance at North Dakota State, Carson Wentz from North Dakota State in the past. I mean, schools like Nevada and North Dakota State are starting to produce first-round prospects, and the NFL is reaching for quarterbacks nowadays. So will the Texans take Carson strong? I don't know. We'll have to see. Texas A&M had their new QB, Haynes King, start this weekend after losing Kellen Mond to the Vikings in the third round of the NFL draft. Now, this is a big deal. wanted to talk about this because Texas A&M only had two losses last year, I believe, one or two losses, and were competing at the top of the SEC. Um, Haynes King played against Kent State this weekend, so a MAC team should have been an easy win. Should have been an offensive explosion. It wasn't an easy win, AM winning the game 41 to 6. But Hayden's King struggled going 21 for 33, 292 yards, two touchdowns. Now that sounds good, pretty good stat line. But he also threw three interceptions against a uh, Mac team. Some struggles from the new starting QB. You got to keep that in mind, AM fans. Is he the guy for you? Now here's another big thing. Auburn's Bo Nix had a good week. He went 20 for 22, 275 yards, three touchdowns, and zero picks. Now, they also played a MAC team in Akron, but Bo Nix finally had a good week. Is Bo Nix the man for Auburn? Is Auburn going to be on top of the SEC? I highly, highly doubt it. But if Bo Nix continues to play like this, maybe he'll pan out to what Auburn actually wanted him to be in the past three years. All right, so then we had Maryland, Talia Tagovailoa, Tua Tagovailoa's younger brother, went 26 for 36, threw for 332 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks. All right, do we have a more dynamic Tua Tagovailoa? We'll have to see. Talia Tagovailoa, great job. We're not surprised by this. Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter going into his senior season. He'll be an NFL prospect for sure. 20 for 25, 295 yards, four touchdowns through the air, and one pick. And then Michigan. Does Michigan have their guy finally? Shea Patterson didn't work for him too much. Cade McNamara went 9 for 11, 136 yards, two touchdowns, and zero picks. Does Michigan finally have their QB? I guess we'll have to see as the season pans out. All right, so those were our notable QB performances. Um, Have some side stories here that we're going to finish things up with. These are things that happened over the weekend that I thought were pretty interesting. Obviously not as big of news as the rest of those big slate games. Um, The first one, Virginia Tech Hokies upset North Carolina. Now, North Carolina had a big season last year. Looked like they could have won the ACC. A lot of people had them probably winning the ACC over Clemson this year. That would have been a big surprise, but could happen, could happen. Sam Howell, Heisman candidate, starting quarterback for UNC, 
uh, NFL big board prospect. But Sam Howell struggled tremendously um, through two picks, including a game-sealing pick for the Hokies. Um, Looks like Sam Howell is struggling after losing Dax Newsom and De'Ami Brown to the NFL. So doesn't have the receiving core that he did last year. Not looking too hot. Let's see if Sam Howell can bounce back in week two. University of Connecticut lost their second game in a row, losing to Holy Cross University. And this is such a fucking funny story to me. Listen, UConn has had the same head coach for the past 17 years. I think he's only produced two winning seasons. Maybe the school should just stick to basketball. He announced after losing to Holy Cross that he would be retiring. So he said he's going to finish out the rest of the season and then retire because he cannot help UConn win football games. If I were you, I'd look up that story. It's absolutely fucking hilarious. Um, Another Big Ten slate game, Iowa... Absolutely annihilated Indiana. Uh, Pure defensive performance. Two pick sixes by the same starting corner. I did not get his name. I'm an idiot. Sorry. But Indiana's quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., is a NFL prospect. He struggled insanely bad against Iowa. Um, Indiana is not a competitor in the Big Ten like everybody thought they would be. Iowa is... A lot of people have Iowa maybe winning the Big Ten. Maybe, 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 maybe. Sorry, Ohio State is still in the picture, so get the fuck out of here. But Michael Penix Jr. throwing two pick sixes and not being able to put up any numbers offensively, leading the Indiana squad to a loss. That's a big story there. And finally, the last story that we have last night made my night. This is just pure college football, pure heart, pure joy for the game. You can't get much better than last night. Florida State hosted Notre Dame for the first game of the season between these two teams. Um, Notre Dame is filled with star players such as Michael Merritt, tight end, aka Baby Gronk, Kyle Hamilton, who for sure will be a top five pick. He's a free safety. Um, Jack Cohn, transfer from Wisconsin, and Kyron Williams at running back. Um, diving into those stars, Kyle Hamilton had two picks. He's for sure a first-round lock. You have to go watch the highlights of those interceptions. Absolutely insane, the range that this guy has. Uh, Michael Mayer had a lot of drops, which is fine. I don't think he's going into the draft this year, but still he needs to fix that drop problem. He needs to catch these balls if he's going to be called Baby Gronk. Be one of the best tight ends in college football. Um, Jack Cohn broke the season opener record for passing yards by a Notre Dame quarterback with 365, the previous record being 346 from Tommy Reese, who is now his offensive coordinator. But the big story of the night, not just the game being close and coming down to an overtime win field goal by Notre Dame, but was McKenzie Milton The former UCF quarterback has not played a game of football in over a thousand days, had a gruesome leg injury, thought he would never, ever play sports ever again, ended up coming into the game and leading Florida State to a tie to force overtime after being down 18 in the fourth quarter. Amazing. Just amazing. You know, this is the spirit of college football. Comebacks, even though they lost comebacks, you know, almost Disney movie stories. McKenzie Milton coming in after thinking he'd never play football again. 
the look on his mom's face was insane. You'll you'll have to go watch the highlights. Just watch Mackenzie Milton come back. I mean, this is just a comeback story. You know, it's almost like the Alex Smith thing with uh, Washington in the NFL. But this was kind of big. This was, it was just incredible to watch. You know, you just, overall this weekend was great for college football. You got to love it. A lot of heart within the game. Um, incredible plays. Incredible stories. This was the best college football week one I think we've had in a very, very long time. And it was probably due to COVID last year. They had to make a statement coming into this year to start things off. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. I'm probably going to do two to three episodes a week, especially because NFL football starts next weekend. Still going to be covering college football, still going to be covering NFL, might cover music here and there. But I want to thank you all for tuning in. Um, hopefully you liked this episode, how I laid things out and expect new content to come weekly. All right, guys, that's it for me. I'm out of here. I got to get to the fucking gym. Thanks for listening. Have a good week.